0: are jumping into the final teaching Matthew chapter 7 Uh, we're gonna be looking at verses 24 through um, 29 and we're gonna consider what I call foundations Uh, Jesus has walked us through two gates two paths uh, two kinds of prophets two kinds two kinds of disciples now he's gonna walk us through two kinds of houses that sit on two very different foundations I want to begin with a text from 1 Corinthians chapter 3, um, if we can get that first slide. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 11 through 14. Paul um, in 1 Corinthians uh, establishes a Christocentric focus for the church uh, the most powerful passages on the importance of the centrality of the cross is found in the first chapter of 1 Corinthians. And, and I love this. He says, For no one can lay a foundation, there can be no other foundation than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Jesus is the foundation on which we are to build our lives. This is the foundation in which we are to build the church. This is the foundation in which we are to to step into the difficulties and challenges of existence. And notice what he says. Now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's works will become manifest. So the building on that foundation, uh, what the materials that we use, there there's a variety of materials good materials bad materials materials that will perish materials that that uh, that can withstand but the fact is is that if it's on the right foundation is actually the key point of the text he says each one's work will become manifest so the foundation will become ultimately the revealer the foundation is not going anywhere uh but what you build on that foundation will be will define uh, that the foundation was always solid but you may have not built with the right materials on that foundation. So once again, the possibility and the reality, I love that he uses this combination of, of, of stones and gems with things as fragile as, as straw and hay. And once again, that, that uh, solidifies my deep conviction around what I call the theology of mixture that everything we do, even in the power of the Spirit, is mixture. There is, there is never anything done in this fallen world, in our fallen bodies and fallen minds, uh, that, that is not done with some um, motivation that's contrary to Jesus. The key and the, and the most important question is, is He your foundation? And, and it's okay for the house to be faulty, although we want to strive to build a solid house. On, uh, But it, it, is, it is death to build on the wrong foundation. So the question is the foundation, not so much what's on it. Now look what he says. He goes, and that will become manifest for the day will disclose it, but because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work has the work has anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive awards. So, so the, the house will be tested. And if, there's, if what's been built on that foundation survives, there's, there's reward that awaits. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss. Note this. Don't tell me that it isn't possible to be a Christian and backslide he will suffer loss though he himself will be saved but only as through fire so it is possible to be on the right foundation but constantly use the wrong materials in other words to be doing the wrong thing but actually having faith in the right thing that's a possibility what is deadly is to do the right thing on the wrong foundation. And I think that this is an important distinction that we're gonna have to, uh, to consider. Now, one of the th- ways in which we can end up being fooled into building or doing the right things with the wrong foundation uh, is when we listen to the wisdom of the world rather than the wisdom of God because paul actually goes on in this same passage to say in verses 18 through 23 let no one deceive himself if anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age let him become a fool that he may become wise you know one of the most terrifying things uh, i think uh, as a as a leader who spends his time thinking and reading is the um the the lies of the enemy uh, that continually tries to tell me that I'm smarter than I am—that feeds in. I am a—I am a lover of knowledge, and the pursuit of knowledge. A good—a good, a good uh, story to read that will remind us of the danger of knowledge as an end in and of itself uh, is that great. Uh, German, probably Germany's greatest writer, Goethe, uh, if you've ever read Faust, uh, that is a profound story about the, the deadliness. In fact, there are many of the patristic fathers that believe that the essence of sin is always wrapped up in the pursuit of secret knowledge uh the desire to know all uh but so much of that pursuit comes from the wisdom of this world and we're told that the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one and so what does it say the wisdom of this world is folly with god isn't it funny that we often analyze and interpret scripture through the wisdom of the world rather than actually judging the wisdom of the world based upon the authority in the immovable reality of scripture that we interpret scripture through the lens of culture rather than interpreting culture through the lens of scripture and I think that this is a, a dangerous thing notice what it says for it is written he catches the wise in their craftiness and again the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise that they are futile so let no one boast in men for all things are yours whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas, or the word of life, or death, or the present, or the future. All are yours, and you are Christ, and Christ is God's. Now, I wanna just state, one of the things that Paul is saying here, um, and this was a common problem, is that people were basically breaking into different teams. I'm team Paul, I'm (laughs) I'm team Apollos. And he's like, we are just servants of Jesus. During the pandemic, churches got cut in half across the nation and And I believe that that great shaking because as we're going to see in our text in Matthew That the houses there are two houses built on two different foundations the houses from all that I can tell probably looked exactly the same the storms that the houses endured the same The foundation, which is the thing that is not seen, is what is different, and it reveals the health of the house, its ability to withstand the storm. The pandemic was a storm, and many people abandoned their faith in that time. And maybe it is, is that they, were on the right, they are on the right foundation. I have to believe that for friends that I know, that I know that they believe in Jesus, but they, they've bought into this lie that I love Jesus, I just don't, I can't do the church anymore. And I would simply say this, is that this is one of the great challenges in churches and, and pastors feel this weight. Uh, and, and we lose a great pastor like Tim Keller. How many people built their house on the foundation of Tim versus the Jesus that Tim preached on? How many people have built, tried to build their house on the unstable foundation of me as a pastor only to find themselves deeply disappointed with my humanity and walk away from the church because they've been hurt too badly by Surprise that the church is made up of broken flawed people maybe the problem is that your hope was in the wrong thing please sweet jesus do not put your hope in me i will let you down every time just as you would let me down because no one is meant to be god but god this is why our stars are the most messed up people because we have turned them into gods and they can't handle the pressure. <laughs> so I just think that this is important for us to understand how tricky it is because it's easy to step into a Christian church in a community and your faith uh, in Christ becomes blurred with your faith in your charismatic leader. Uh, and I've seen people burned by putting far too much hope um, in, uh, in a human. Rather than in the God that hopefully that human is pointing you to. And this is why it is so essential that we keep Christ at the center of everything. Because it's very tempting for a pastor to move away from the centrality of the cross and move into secret knowledge and things that, that, uh, that, that itch or scratch your itching ears. And this is what Paul said in the last days, people will not endure sound doctrine any longer. And they will. Keep up for themselves teachers that will tell them what they want to hear, and I think that this is this is was Jesus's greatest condemnation of the leaders of his day is that they that they were presenting themselves as servants of God, but what they really loved was the praise of men, and it's a dangerous thing. Uh, I think that it's something that both the pastor has to constantly be aware of um, uh, of that deep desire to be loved and to be known knowing the mixture in us is one of the keys to actually maintaining a posture of humility it's one of the reasons that I practice radical confession in front of you on a regular basis is I will do anything I can to burst any bubbles uh, around any perception uh, that might elevate me in a way that is dangerous for me and for you. <laughs> and so, uh, and, 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 I'm, and I'm grateful for a community that, um, that has embraced that, that desire for us together to be a people that, that don't try to hide behind masks, but we want to be a people that, that are authentic in our, in our worship of Jesus and the recognition of our desperate need for him and our lostness without him. So let's consider this text in Matthew. If Jesus is the only foundation on which we can build, then we can move into this this text and begin to see uh, see kind of the thrust as Jesus closes out this incredible incredible teaching that we call the Sermon on the Mount. First of all, we wanna consider a wisdom that withstands. He says, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house but it did not fall because it has been founded on the rock first of all i want you to, to notice something very profound that jesus says and this is in and, and this will make sense when we consider the very last line of the sermon on the mount And that is, he says, everyone then who hears these words of whose, of mine. Anyone that tries to declare that Jesus never claimed to be God is fooling themselves. Because Jesus as a rabbi would be violating every rule because he established himself as the sole authority. Not only did he establish himself as an authority but he offered forgiveness for sins he spoke as if he was one with god because he was the eternal son of god come in the flesh the god man and the mystery of that is is a profound mystery and here's the thing i want you to, to notice about this when he says these words of mine this is the establishment of a new covenant this is the establishment of an absolute shift in reality no longer is the torah the uh, the guiding principle uh the torah he said i didn't come to destroy the law and the prophets i came to fulfill them uh, but what he is saying is that all of it has been pointing to me all of it is fulfilled in me and this is why in the book of hebrews The powerful opening passage gives us something that is so important for us to understand and why it is that we as a church must maintain a central focus on the person of Jesus. Now it's not that the Father or the Holy Spirit don't matter because there is one god revealed in three persons but why is jesus the central focus of worship and i think this even will play into our conversation tonight is that is understanding distinctions and roles (laughs) equality in god but there are different roles there is no other name under heaven by which one can be saved rather than the name you're not saved by the name of the holy spirit although the holy spirit is the one who regenerates you The Holy Spirit though's primary focus is to point you to Jesus. What did the Father say of Jesus? This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to Him. In other words, Jesus is the representative man. He has taken the place of Moses. He is the one who stands in the gap. He is the great connection uh, between God and humanity because He is God and man. God come down into our lives, into our brokenness, into our reality. And this is why it says in Hebrews, God at various times has spoken to us through the prophets and through the scriptures, but in these last days, he has spoken to us in son. That's actually direct translation. If you have your Bible, it says, he has spoken to us in his son. It's actually, it's actually not what it says. It says he has spoken to us in son. There, it's, it, it doesn't grammatically make sense Because the son himself, his person, is the message. And the message is the son. In other words, everything, as I've said over the years, everything that God desires to say has been said and continues to be said in Jesus. Jesus is the final word. This is why we say he is the way, the truth and the life no one comes to the Father but through him he is the gate the narrowness of our message is what opens us up to the vastness of our God And so when Jesus says anyone who hears these words of mine and does them these words that he has spoken has called us into a reality that that is is challenging for us now so what, so now I got I got to do everything that he said in the Sermon on the Mount Yes, but what has he continued to say? What he's continued to say through the entire Sermon on the Mount is that you Are an adulterer <laughs> You are a murderer You are you are a person who every time you're angry you you commit murder every time you look At someone lustfully you commit adultery you are a person who who is incapable of saving yourself what is it that we are to do then how can we do the things that he just got done telling us that we can't seem to stop doing and this is the whole point be perfect as your father in heaven is perfect is that a possibility well it it is a possibility in Jesus I will never be perfect But if I'm in him, I have his perfection over me. In other words, everything that Jesus has done has has been forcing us back to that first beatitude. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. In other words, it is a posture of humility and brokenness before God. God can do everything with a broken heart. He can do nothing with a divided heart. He can do nothing with an arrogant heart. What he is trying to lead us to is a sense of desperate need for him. The only safe place for us is to abide in Christ. And this is why I've started with Paul's passage, is you might build a house that burns up The key thing is, are you on the right foundation? My prayer is that you build with the right materials, but that actually is of less significance. What if you build with the right materials on the wrong foundation? And the wrong foundation is believing that you can live the Sermon on the Mount apart from Jesus. That's the wrong foundation. And so the wisdom of the world... Will tell you, you want to know the wisdom of the world? Why don't you get Tolstoy's famous book on the Sermon on the Mount? Tolstoy is considered one of the greatest authors in human history. Definitely one of the top Russian authors, but I would say that many people would consider Tolstoy to be one of the greatest literary minds in human history. And he was also a man who was deeply, uh, deeply committed uh, to a type of russian orthodoxy the problem is is that he wasn't orthodox Uh, and and what i mean by that is that he didn't actually hold to creedal orthodoxy what he held to was the idea that jesus is the perfect example the perfect teacher and the sermon on the mount would be best if we just removed all the supernatural elements from it and just actually did it but you know what that is That's like the utopian vision of Marxism. (laughs) But the problem why Marxism will always fail is that because it's not founded on Christ and his power, it becomes an impossibility that actually leads to greater tyranny, which is why communism throughout the 20th century, in every attempt to liberate the oppressed man, it just produced a more intense oppressor. That's the Bolshevik revolution in Russia This is one of the most terrifying things. Here's one of the problems with even talking about foundations in our current climate is that we have an um, anti-historical movement in the world that doesn't even trust history and thinks that history should either be revisioned or thrown away. And yet our history is the thing that actually gives us wisdom for the future, (laughs) but we can't even trust the wisdom of the world now. Is saying that you can't trust the past, and that it's it's an increasing. Uh, I, I think it's so interesting how often you uh, you you watch voices, young voices today, and they just act like there's like some sort of like intellectual illumination that is proven that every generation that's gone before has just been stupid and in the dark, like. What was considered the great generation that fought in World War I and World War II, they, they were just ignorant and probably racist. If we just, just toss it aside. Like, like my wife's great grandfather, I mean this, what a, what a silly man, a, a man that leaves his house at 13 years old in England. Uh, Because his father died, and goes straight to the shipyard and gets on the first ship he finds and sails across the ocean. He, he takes a job on a ship at 13 years old and sails across the ocean to Canada, walks off the ship to the first farm he finds and gets a job at a farm and sends money back to take care of his mom and his brothers and sisters at 13 and doesn't get to go home because World War I breaks out and he enters into the Canadian army and fights in the trenches of France before being able to go home. Yeah, they're, they don't know anything, that generation we have so much more courage and stick-to-itiveness than that we know i'm like i love watching little like uh you know it it reminds me of that statement in chesterton in orthodoxy when he compares tolstoy and nietzsche uh, to joan of arc and he says tolstoy loved to write about poverty he romanticized poverty but lived wealthy. And Nietzsche loved to write about revolution from the safety of his apartment but never saw a day in battle. He was Joan of Arc lived in poverty and was a revolutionary and led, led an army. He's like, who's the, who's the smarter person? Who's the more, who's the more, com-? and I, I feel like so much of today it's like, it's like endless drivel about things we don't know. <laughs> things we don't understand, things we don't know. Uh, we, need to get, we need to cast off the shackles of, of you know, archaic mythology and enter into this new liberated place where we become the definers of our own, our own reality and yet all it's done is produce more suicide, more mental illness, more addiction, we have maybe have more wealth but it's not making us more happy i don't understand how the wisdom of the day is really proving to be a lot smarter than any. every generation has its own problems every generation has its blind spots because every generation is built upon the shoulders of the fallen generation that went before it but that doesn't mean that god hasn't been worked it's not like he start just started down I, I think it's interesting people talk about we need to keep reforming in the church Reformation is not tossing off the shackles of orthodoxy to liberate ourselves from what feels like uh, an exclusive club. Listen, the exclusivity of our claims is what actually brings about the inclusive invitation, the power of the message that we proclaim, that Jesus is the way, the only way. All paths do not, all paths will lead to God, but they don't all lead to God with the same results. Because every knee shall one day bow before Jesus is Lord. But I want him to be Lord and Savior, not Lord and Judge. My point is this, is Jesus has spoken these words, and these words maintain their absolute immovable authority right now. Our wisdom is wrapped up in accepting the foolishness of the wisdom of this world i love this because not only does he say these words are my words and in a final sense he is the final word of the father but there's also something else he says everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man that built his house on the rock Uh, let's let's talk about that for a second jesus it says there is no other foundation by which one can be laid other than that, which is in Jesus Christ. But Jesus uses this language in another passage, which has also been a, a passage that has uh, created much division throughout church history, and it's in, it's in Matthew chapter 16 when Jesus asks his disciples, who do you say that I am? And, and, and what, what is the answer? They said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, an immovable foundation. The controversy around this text is that within the Catholic Church, the, the focus is on who Jesus is talking to and the revelation that God has given to Peter, that Jesus is the Christ. And this kind of sets up for within Catholicism kind of the um, papal primacy. Uh, the idea of, the, of the, the Pope as a continuation of Peter's apostolic commission here. Protestants have always held tenaciously to this idea that it's not talking about Peter, he's talking about what Peter said, that, that the kingdom is going to be built upon Jesus, that he is the rock, the foundation. I would argue that both are right at a certain level. Uh, not, in a, not in a Pope sense, but he is talking not just about what Peter said, he is talking about Peter, because Peter is the founder of the church. Jesus is the foundation of the church, but Peter was used. And what I would argue is that there is a, there is a foundation that is being talked about here that goes beyond just simply Jesus is Lord, but it is the fact that Jesus established the church as the means by which his lordship would be experienced in the world. So, while I reject the concept of the Pope, I absolutely believe that the foundation is directly connected not only to Jesus, but his church, his bride. And as the bride of Christ, this is one of the things that I find deeply troubling in this modern mindset that I love Jesus, but I hate the church. And I think you're moving into dangerous foundations at that point. Because first of all, the first thing that God says over humanity in an unfallen state, it is not good that man be alone. How much clearly do we, how much more evidence do we need to know the truth of that statement as Christians when we experienced isolation for basically three years? And how damaging that was to the church. You know, I often have thought that that passage in Second Thessalonians says that the, the son of perdition, or what is often referred to as the Antichrist, will be revealed when the restrainer is removed. It's a mysterious passage. Who is the, what is the restrainer? And, and I personally believe the restrainer is the Holy Spirit. And I think that, that, that a, a picture of that, there is always a now and not yet reality to passages and the 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 feeling of that it was like man before the pandemic I was like can the world get much worse and to my surprise it was like the moment the church stopped meeting it was like all hell broke loose on earth it was insane it was like it was just one thing it wasn't it didn't it feel apocalyptic like the like the level is like okay there's a pandemic we don't know all we're told is it might kill millions of people uh and and then there's like you can't hang out and it's like never trust a hug and definitely never trust a sneeze and you know remember when you could cough on an airplane and not feel guilty that's not happening anymore whenever I cough now on an airplane I feel like I just like people think that I might have a bomb like that's how it feels uh you remember when it was like you would walk down the street and say hi to people remember what it was like during the worst of the pandemic when it was like you walked down the street and people would go to the other side to avoid you like there were so many but then you just combine that then we had fires and then we had racial unrest and then we had riots and we had a massive like all of the world's homeless decided to come to portland because we give we give free drugs and tents. Uh, and all logic is just turned upside down on its head. And everyone turns to social media to receive their news now. And it was just like the most insane f- in the polarization within the country. All of these, it was like political unrest, social unrest, the pandemic unrest. I mean, it was like everything happened. And it's like, and the only common denominator that i could come up with is that the church has been taken out of the picture in a certain in a certain way and in and, and we felt it the weight of that jesus is the foundation but he has established that that foundation is to be experienced in the context of his bride we are the living temple of Christ each one of us carry the person of Christ by his Holy Spirit within us we are in Christ and Christ is in us by the Spirit but it is when two or more gather in my name that there is power and so you can be on the right foundation but i would argue that you are building the wrong structure if you think that you don't need the church and you only need Jesus and i've my experience pragmatically speaking has been when people remove themselves from the church it's only a matter of time before they remove themselves from Jesus altogether and I can't speak to whether they were his to begin with or not but all I can say is experientially practically they are living as if God doesn't exist and it's a heartbreaking thing I've lost much sleep over people that I know that have walked away from their faith. And I think the walking away from their faith began with their walking away from the church. And, and I think it's a, it's a deeply troubling reality. And it's the idea that, well, the church is, the church is filled with, flawed, the church is a hospital for the sick. What did you expect? It's not supposed to be a, like a, a mausoleum for saints. It's a hospital for the sick. Jesus said, I didn't come to save those, who, I didn't come to fix those who are already well. He's being facetious because there is none that are well. He says, I came for the sick. I came for the broken. When the the bridegroom invites people to the wedding and and none of the guests want to come, he says, go into the byways and highways and find the most broken people and bring them in. This is what the church is for. It's a place where sick people can find healing and hope that they can begin to build once again on the right kind of foundation. So... The foundation that holds what I love the other final point I'll make on this particular passage is that he points out that those that build on the right foundation I think there's often this idea that if I get right with Jesus and this is why people actually walk away from Jesus because they have faulty theology they don't understand the nature of the foundation and so they think if I'm if I'm in Jesus then there will be no storms there will be no trials, that if I give my life to Jesus, does, does pain and suffering dissipate? I, I, how many Christians, are like, I've gotten sick, and I can't, if Jesus doesn't heal me, I can't believe in him anymore. I've lost, I've lost my hope in him because I've lost my job, or I lost my, I lost my marriage, or maybe I, I, lost, I lost a family member. I, what, but loss seems to create one of two results, an either deepening of the faith or an abandonment of it. That's why Hebrews, one of the primary focuses of the book of Hebrews, is to again and again say, listen, tribulation is coming. It's here. Don't walk away. Don't abandon The only hope that you have if you walk away from the cross, what is there is no forgiveness of sins apart from the cross? There is no hope apart from Jesus. You're fearful for the loss of your the possible loss of your physical life But eternal life is more significant than the blip that we call this momentary life now Don't get me wrong. The natural instinct to survive is a powerful one (laughs) and there are many people I can't say that, you know, we always say that we would do things differently if we had lived back then. I can't imagine holding on tenaciously to my faith in Jesus um, at the expense of my family being fed to wild animals in the Coliseum. I, I'm, there's no way that I could ever speak intelligently about whether I could stand it. My gut tells me there's not a chance I would do it. That I would be casting myself in absolute dependence upon that my salvation is based upon what jesus has done for me therefore i'm going to collapse in fear right now because there is no way i'm going to watch my kids get eaten um and i would have just have to trust that i'm going to be okay ultimately i don't have that kind of willpower like i love jesus so much that i'm willing to watch my wife and kids be murdered in front of me and that i am pretty sure i don't have that in me um, but you know hopefully it'll never be have to be tested but that was a reality That's what the writer of Hebrews is writing to. These people are gonna lose their lives for their faith. And that is a reality actually in many parts of the world today. They may not be given over to the Colosseum, but it is actually punishable by death in certain Middle Eastern countries to come to faith, to put your faith in Jesus. I have friends whose pastor was murdered in Tehran by, by the police for having an underground church. It's a reality and they are willing to lose everything for Jesus. We don't even know what suffering is for us suffering is like you know like i had a like i had a bad day the coffee shop was out of my favorite my favorite bean (laughs) and i know there are people in this room that have experienced real suffering but suffering has the ability to be so grateful that we have the right foundation And there's something very profound when you come through a massive storm and realize that you're still standing. There's really, it's a profound thing. Nothing will actually strengthen your faith like the furnace of suffering. Nothing refines your faith like hurting. Nothing, there's so many things that I've experienced and I would say the most beneficial moments in my Christian walk have been the most painful. Watching my father take his last breath, going through eight months of crippling anxiety and insomnia, losing, lo- giving up my, my career in music when it was flourishing to honor the need of my wife and kids for me to be home, going through the pain of humiliation uh, and correction as I entered into ministry and was green and overly zealous. All of these things helped shape us into the men and women that god wants us to be and when we're on the right foundation those st- when we withstand those storms it actually strengthens and encourages and we actually learn things about the nature of the storms and how we can reinforce ourselves and be more anchored to the foundation so that we even stand more strongly the next time the storm comes first time a storm comes it might take your house all the way down to the studs, <laughs> but we can learn to rebuild properly when we have the right foundation but none of it matters if the foundation's wrong. What about the foundation that fails? Matthew seven, verses 26 to 27. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. Same house, same storms, wrong foundation. You know, I w- whenever I go anywhere, uh, and I don't want you to be nervous, like I'm not looking to move anywhere, but I love to look at real estate in any place I go. Like when I was in Greece, I looked at, you can buy a vacation home on the water in Greece for $300,000. And if that doesn't make you sick to your stomach, I don't know what will, especially when you live in Portland, because you know what you can get for 300000 here. Not a lot. Uh, I'm down in Palo Verdes. I was speaking at a church in Redondo Beach. And Palo Verdes is like Eden. It's the most secret beautiful place in all of California and the people that live there are very few because very few can actually afford it. Like the average house price, the lowest price I saw was 3.2 million or something like that. Um, and so I'm, I'm looking around and I'm like, Darcy, you're not going to believe it. I found a house on the water, like in Palo Verde's ranch, um, like literally on a bluff overlooking the ocean for 1.5 million now that sounds silly because that's ridiculous as well but 1.5 million seemed like that's a steal um and I'm like I don't understand look at it it's beautiful it's like a little cottage it was like a little like like a little 20s craftsman like on a bluff just looking out at the ocean like at Catalina and I was like this is incredible and I'm like (laughs) I'm reading through it I'm like I think we can get someone to Maybe I should call my friend that took me to Keller, to see if he'd buy me this house. Pastoral perk, right? I'm like, I, we should try to sell our house and buy this. This is a great property. And I got down to the small print, and it said, um, cash only. Uh, bluff is falling into the ocean. Like, literally, the house is going to be in the ocean. You're paying 1.5 million dollars for a house that won't be there any moment like an earthquake done but even without the earthquake it's going to fall into the ocean there's no saving it the foundation so i sure enough i asked this real estate guy at the church that i was speaking at and he's like yeah like literally that whole area is falling into the ocean um and people will still pay 2.5 million dollars for and they don't have any architectural ways of salvaging this remember when they were running ads in italy for um for villas for a dollar for foreign investment. You know why it was a dollar? Because this town that they were trying to save is actually built on this stone hill. And that stone hill, the hill itself, that the town is built on is actually, is, is finally coming apart just due to age. So the only way to buy it, one of those villas, you, yes, you can buy it for a dollar, but you're gonna invest probably a million dollars with everyone else that buys, buys a dollar house to try to figure out how to shore up a mountain um, it's a bad foundation, I would argue a bad, a bad investment as well. That things don't last in this world, is the point. And this is the wisdom of the world, is we put our hopes in things that don't last. And that creates a faulty foundation. I heard a powerful story um, by Charles Price, who, who was speaking on this very passage years ago when I was a brand new believer, and he said there was a building in downtown L.A. Um, a skyscraper that was getting cracks in the upper floors like 20th 15th 17th floor and they couldn't figure out what was going on they kept repairing the cracks they kept kept cracking only to discover that a parking attendant had been removing bricks one by one from the parking garage and putting them into his home garden <laughs> because they were loose and he's like well it's a massive garage like What could just, you know, four by four section of garage wall possibly do to the building? Uh, Well, it destabilized the whole building. Uh, That's the point. And so Jesus is saying, listen, the house can be the same, and this is also dangerous for us, is that this should warn us against assuming anything about anyone. (laughs) Because someone can look absolutely right with God and have an absolutely wrong foundation. This is why, why works will never be the thing that saves you. The work that saves is when you work upon the right foundation, and then you have the security to know that your works might even fall down, but at least I'm on the right foundation. But if what if you build correctly, but you don't actually base it upon Jesus? It's a problem. And this is the point of the text is that Jesus is saying, whoever hears what I have said and does it, which is what is, he, what is he calling us to do, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. In other words, the work that saves is the saving work of Christ in the dependent believer who has cast himself and his hope upon Jesus as the only foundation. I would rather have a shack on the right foundation than a a mansion on a foundation that can fall into the sea. And this is why Jesus is calling us to trust in him, and this is how it ends. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. You guys, the authority that amazes is this, is that Jesus spoke as, as one who is one with God, who is the, the ultimate and final interpretation of God's heart, and the Sermon on the Mount is a sermon that is built upon grace, God's one-way love toward us, what God has done for us in and through King Jesus, and his kingdom is made up of people, saints, who are nothing more than sinners who have cast themselves in dependence upon him. I said yesterday in a, a discipleship group that, a, that a, a saint is merely a, a sinner who yells mercy. <laughs> I give, I'm yours Jesus, I'm not fighting you anymore. This is the foundation that saves. This is the foundation that stands. I want a foundation that's right so that I can learn to build rightly. And that is why we are saved by faith unto works. There is a faith that works, but be careful to not think that you are right because of what you have done. The only thing that makes you right is what Jesus has done for you. And if you don't get that, you don't get the gospel and you're building on the wrong foundation. Are you built upon King Jesus? doesn't matter how shabby the home is, just get the foundation right. We can work with the right foundation, but woe is to us to have a massive structure on a foundation that's gonna collapse. May we be a people that are built as a church upon Jesus, and may we be a community, disciples that gather around Jesus that causes the crowds to come who hear of the power of this Jesus, this saving Jesus. And may the the city of Portland find salvation, the people of this city find salvation through the faithful witness of a community that is humbly recognized that there is no foundation on which we can build our lives but upon Jesus Christ. Amen? Let's pray.